I want to invite you to take, uh, take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're in the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, you'll find that on page 1016-1016. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, living the Christian life is not easy. <laughs> I, I think we can especially see this with, with new believers when they, they come into the faith and they have certain expectations that are there. There may be a, a, a sense that things are going along well. They, they have a new life. Maybe many of us have experienced this, a, a new life, a new love in Christ. There are all these uh, changes, and it can feel like a weight has been lifted off. But then, but then, uh, inward struggles begin with, with sin, with indwelling sin, as well as perhaps ill treatment often from those on the outside. They're, they're walking now in a new way and following Christ, but, but they're different now. And those who were around them may act differently and, and perhaps in not such wonderful or kind ways. And, and, and therefore, it can be confusing and it can be disheartening. Uh, and for anyone who has walked with the Lord for a long time, uh, then you'll be able to, to share with that person, you know what, um, it continues. Uh, the Christian life is not easy. It, it doesn't just get easy all of a sudden. Uh, it continues. In fact, we can say, if you're living the Christian life, you're involved and engaged in a battle. And one characteristic of being in a battle is... Uh, as you can talk to any soldier that's engaged in the battle, is that there is suffering to be had day after day in that battle. Now, it may seem like I'm painting a dim picture here, right? Well, in a sense, I am. This is reality. Uh, at the same time, yes, there are all the benefits, absolutely, uh, that come with knowing, uh, knowing the Lord, and, and we go over those, and we'll be talking about those. Um, but... But recognize, uh, living the Christian life is not easy. And that's what this, uh, this letter of 1 Peter is really all about. Uh, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who, you, you might characterize it this way, a little bit of, uh, of military imagery. They're in the trenches. Uh, they're down in the foxholes. And they're fighting the fight. They've come to faith in Christ. And, and, and now they're communicating back to Peter that uh, this, is, this is not easy. We're suffering here in many different ways. And, and Peter's kind of acting like a squadron commander. He's shouting down to them instructions and encouragements. And he, he, he's able to tell them, just like a squadron commander would tell them, Here's what the, what the war is like. You, you know, you, all you can see is the, the trees. You're in the middle of the forest. But here's what the bigger picture is like. By the way, you're on the winning side. The side that, that does win. In fact, that really already has won. The war, in a sense, has been won. And you know those bullets that are flying over your head. 
Yes, they can cause very real damage. They can hurt. But at the same time, you can know that the sting, the real ultimate sting has been taken out of those bullets uh, by the one who has put himself in your place. And ultimately, you will have life. And by the way, I, I know that you didn't at one time have hope, but now you have a living hope. And you're able to know that day after day, moment after moment as you live your life. And so set your eyes upon this hope. And he's telling them, get up. Get up and continue the fight. And then he's giving them encouragement to do just that. And you know what? I know that that's the message. There are many here who need that exact same message as you're living the Christian life. And as you recognize, you look around you and you look within you. And you say, this is not easy. But God has provided. And so you continue. And that's, that's the encouragement here. Uh, we're continuing this morning uh, with that encouragement that Peter is giving uh, to those he's writing to, which includes us this morning. As he says, continue in the fight. Uh, look to the Lord. Now, last week's text that we looked at uh, back at the end of chapter 3 had some significant interpretive challenges, I'll, I'll put it that way, uh, that we had to deal with. Uh, and we did. Uh, this week's text, again, has, has some challenges there. Verse 1 and verse 6. So we're in chapter 4. We'll read the first six verses. There's still some challenges there. Not as great as last week, I think. Uh, but all the way through and through, the message is clear. And that's what we need is a clear message. Uh, again, I'll be reading beginning in chapter 4, 1 Peter, uh, the first six verses. Peter says, Since therefore... Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words this morning. We thank you for the confidence that we can have that this is the word of God. This is given for our edification, our upbuilding, our ability to see rightly. And so that's our prayer this morning, Lord, that you will help us to see in a, in a right way, in a true way. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we might see and hear uh, your truth and have it applied to our hearts. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
ask you if you've ever seen, either in person, most of us probably haven't in person, but uh, or uh, on a video, TV, whatever, one of those balloon festivals, you know, where, where you get hundreds of balloons. I think in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico is, is one of the main places. You get hundreds of balloons uh, that are there, and, and all about the same time they, they take off, they fly into the sky. Uh, well, if you've seen that before, or you can picture it in your mind, think about the, 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 all those balloons, hundreds of balloons, uh, different sizes and, and colors and everything, but they're right at the beginning before uh, they take off, and, and, and they're tethered to the ground. Have you ever seen one of these balloons, and you get uh, the, the hot air coming up into the balloon, and so they're, they're straining at the ropes, but they're, whole, they're held tightly to the ground, but there's a moment there where the ropes are cut, or they're, they're cast aside, and uh, all of a sudden, the, the balloons begin to go skyward, uh, and there's no more restraint. Uh, in fact, they're, they're not at all like a kite. Think about a kite. You're flying a kite real high, uh, and it can go as, as high as you've got string, and there's wind and everything else to support it, but it's still tethered, and you're going to bring it back down to earth. But with these balloons, there is no line anymore tethering them. Uh, once they're released, they're set free, and that's what makes it so beautiful. You've got hundreds of them flying in the sky, free to soar high into the sky. Now keep that image of the balloons in your mind for a moment as we look at what Peter is saying here. Uh, he says right there at the beginning of, of chapter 4, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Christ suffered, so those who belong to him suffer. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He's making a correlation here between Christ and us uh, with regards to suffering. But he's not just speaking about any kind of suffering. This is important here. Uh, notice the word that he uses right there at the beginning. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. What do we do when we see that word therefore? We look back to see what it's there for. Uh, there's something that he's pointing back to. Look back to, to verse 18 from chapter 3. He said, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. We, we looked at that uh, last week. Uh, Peter here is pointing back to what he had said in that verse. But the suffering that's being mentioned there is not just any suffering, for Christ also suffered once for sins. There was a time when Christ suffered. In fact, in the, uh, you may have the NIV uh, Bible, it translates it this way. It says, for Christ suffered for sins uh, I'm sorry, for Christ died for sins once for all. He uses the word died because that's what it's, this is talking about. Uh, his once for all suffering was his death. And so here in, in chapter 4, verse 1, is Peter talks about Christ's suffering in the flesh. He's pointing to that particular time, that particular suffering. Therefore, since Christ suffered and died in the flesh, he was crucified. You arm yourselves 
with the same way of thinking. Um, he's making that comparison. Christ died upon the cross at a point in time. Therefore, you suffered at a point in time. You died as well. Uh, it's something that we just read about in, uh, in chapter 6 of Romans. So it's not suffering in general. It's specific. Uh, you have been crucified. There's a sense in which if you are a believer, and this is true of every single believer, everyone who has, has faith, come to faith in Christ, that uh, there is a sense in which you died to sin. Uh, and you, you'll notice here, he's going to say a little further on, this is where there, there is this interpretive challenge. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Uh, now, notice that Peter's saying something here with respect to, to sin. That's true of every Christian. Something in the past, we, we died to sin, uh, but we didn't, we know... <laughs> If you're living your life as a Christian, you, you didn't die to sin completely. You didn't cease from sin completely, uh, but uh, you died to the power of sin. Uh, the power of sin. Now, think about that hot air balloon that I was talking about earlier. Uh, the balloon uh, is tethered to the ground. Uh, that's, that's like us in sin. Unbelievers. Uh, remain in that place, tethered to the ground, remaining in sin. There is no freedom there. In fact, there is a, a blindness. Uh, and you may know this if, if you're a believer and you're able to look back and, and you can see yourself in your blindness continuing in that same pattern again and again and again, uh, enslaved to sin. But there is a point which when we come to see Christ, to know Christ, to have faith in Christ, that the lines of, of sin are cut. And what does the balloon begin to do at that point? It begins to rise into the air. It's got a new orientation. You could say no longer is it held to the ground, uh, but now uh, you've been set free. And the same is true uh, for a, a, a believer that comes to faith in Christ and is speaking in particular about the power of sin. No longer are you constrained to remain in that same place. But now you have been released. There's sin there. In fact, we can see it in the balloon. You've got all kinds of baggage that's in the balloon that's, that's weighing you down, that you've taken with you. Uh, but the lines have been cut. And so the power that sin has over you and over your life uh, is no longer there. And you can think about the, the balloon that now is able to soar free. Uh, and it's that big in a believer's life. And it's on that basis that Peter's going to go on to say in verse 2, look at verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. He's talking about the rest of your life. So as to live for the rest of the time in, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's a new orientation there. Uh, just like the balloon, it's now free. It's headed upward. No longer is it tethered to the ground. Uh, that's, that's 
living for human passions that would be tethered to the ground for the will of God now that's able to soar free. You've been set free now, Peter is saying, to live for God, to live for his will. And that's his encouragement through this passage. Uh, Live for God. No longer must you continue in those ways, the ways of the past. Now you're able to live for God. And that's for those who are in the trenches, for those who are, are day after day struggling, especially with sin, but with other things from the outside. That's the encouragement that we need. Live to God because you've been enabled to. And in these six verses, there are three areas that he addresses with this. Three different ways in which uh, believers need to hear this message. Uh, First of all, live to God when it comes to indwelling sin. That's the first thing. Secondly, live to God when it comes to outward pressure to conform. So especially speaking about from unbelievers. And then third, live to God because you're no longer under judgment. You're not under judgment. There's a freedom there. Uh, So those three, live to God, first of all, when it comes to indwelling sin. Now, this is flowing out of what Christ has done, out of his completed work. You'll see it right there at the beginning. Since, therefore, Christ has suffered in the flesh. uh, So out of what he has done, now you're able to take a completely different outlook on sin. No longer is it being shaped by the desires of the flesh, but now... It's being shaped by the will of God, by God at work within you. Now, I I do want to start off making one thing clear that we have in the text. Uh, Some have taken that part right at the end of verse 1 to mean that Christians are able to become perfect with respect to sin. No more sin in their lives. Uh, That's a wrong Uh, interpretation. Now, the truth is Christians are able to become free from sin completely, but not on this side of heaven, not in this life. Uh, There will be a day, and we can read that about that in Revelation 21 and and following, but uh, in this life, uh, that baggage remains, but the Lord is doing something with that, and he is working inside of it. That's what we're dealing with uh, here now, I, I'll just uh, point out that. Um, well, one thing: if anyone tells you that they have reached this point of perfection, and, and just you may see that in the in the wider world in the church, uh, I, I will say that you can know that there is a a, a severe case of spiritual blindness that has taken place. Uh, And and just recognize that, and uh, then maybe you'll have a chance to engage, or maybe you'll just want to kind of avoid. Uh, But what what Peter is saying here, he actually makes clear in verse 2, which I already read. uh, He says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's the concern there, has ceased from sin. So what does he mean? So as to live... For the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for 
the will of God. He's talking about this new, this reorientation of the heart. He's really speaking about two different ways of life. Uh, the, the unbeliever lives for human passions. And he gives a list there uh, in, in verse 3, but it's, it's controlled by the heart. And you hear this uh, in the way that, that we're told in this world to live. You're told, live out your own desires. You know, do the things that makes your heart feel right. You'll, you'll see it on uh, social media. You'll see it all over the place. Um, and, and that is actually this same message. That, that is the, uh, the, the way of the unbeliever. That's one path. But the other path is that of the believer living for, out of a willing heart, a desiring heart, for the will of God. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Uh, it's either one or the other. Uh, if you come to faith in Christ, your master is God. And that's the wonderful news, that through all the fight, uh, through all the difficulty, the, the challenge of living the Christian life, you have a new master and your heart is oriented toward him. And that's what changes everything as you live your life. Now, Peter's going to go on to say in verse 3, if you'll read there, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, uh, want to do. He's saying that the time has passed. Back then, uh, you had plenty of opportunity to, to live out the passions of your heart. That was what you desired then. Now, Many of us here are able to, to think back to uh, that time. Uh, and then you can look down at verse 3, at some of the, the items he gives in the list, and you may nod your head and say, yeah, uh, living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, and, and, and on and on. A lawless idolatry, they may look familiar. But now, uh, if you're in Christ, you have a new life. Through Christ, You may even find that as you think back that there's a sense inside of which you're, you're revolted. You think about that way of living, that, that lifestyle, that pattern, maybe a sense in which you, you hate that. And that, that can be a good sign because living for a new master, your heart is changed and you want different things. And so you look back and you're able to say, no, I have no desire for that anymore. That... That was under the old master, but I've got a new master now, and I'm, I, I'm living for him. Now, that's where we must be in order to, to deal with indwelling sin. You've got to be in that place where you know that sin no longer has a claim on you. I'm not saying you don't sin, but it no longer has power over you in that same way. And you can ask yourself, is that true of me? Do, do I now love the Lord? Do I desire the things that, that he, uh, the, the, the things that he is of? Uh, is he really my master now? And if this is true, then Peter is saying here, then live to God when it comes to indwelling sin. Live to God. Sin is no longer your master. God is. Uh, and so live according to his desires, according to his will. 
Uh, and you can, you can ask that question in each area of your life that you know. You know, I've got this particular area of my life and I know there is, there is sin there. I, I've continued in those ways that are not right. Um, you're able to ask that question. What is it, Lord, that honors you here? What is your will for me in this way? And then no longer live according to the excuses. You know what the excuses are, right? It's telling yourself that, uh, no, that's just, that's really who I am. Maybe it's, that's my upbringing. Uh, that, that's just a characteristic of, that, those are all excuses. But now the ropes have been cut free. You're free to live in orientation to God uh, and to live in such a way that uh, you're alive to God. Look back to Romans 6 uh, again. It was on page 942 if you're in the Blue Pew Bible. Romans chapter 6. I just want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, Paul goes into this in, in greater depth here. Uh, but if you turn to Romans chapter 6, right at the beginning, if you're in, if you got the, the ESV uh, Bible, you'll, you'll notice the summary heading at the top of that says this. Uh, for those verses, it says, dead to sin, alive to God. And that's a great summary of what we've got in this uh, passage. Uh, that's what this section is all about. Look at all the ways that, that he says that uh, Paul says that believers have died past tense. Uh, you can look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that's the coming into to Christ, uh, were baptized into his death. You know, you have died. Uh, look down at verse, uh, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's, that's the goal, but we have been crucified with him uh, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The lines have been cut. Uh, look down at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves. He's saying, think in this way, because this is who you are. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Look one more place down at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. He's speaking about the power of sin. That otherwise, where you were, you were constrained. Uh, and, and you really can't miss that. He, he repeats himself again and again. And he's saying the same thing as, as Peter here. You, you used to be held captive, but you are no more. And so now he's saying, take every thought captive to Christ and live to God. Uh, and you can look back at that summary heading again. Dead to sin and alive to God. Now, I will say, the tendency of many of us here, I, I know some of us here, and the tendency is going to be dead to sin. Okay, struggle with sin. I'm going I'm to engage in this fight with sin. But never live to God. You know, look to the Lord. Uh, recognize who it is who has freed you and take joy in the gospel as you live your lives. He has set you free 
And so you, you can praise his name every day, even in the midst of the struggle. Live to God. That, that's, it's dead to sin, alive to God. And so the question, are you alive to God? Are you concerned, uh, therefore, with what obedience to God looks like out of a willing heart? Do you ask yourself regularly, Lord, am I honoring you in this area, in the way that I'm living my life? How do we do that? Think about balloons again. You know, like I said, there's a point in time which the, the cords are cut. The balloon is, is set free to begin its journey upward. But even though you have this new orientation toward God, you've still got the baggage there, right? That often weighs you down. And it can even weigh you down to the point at which it seems like you're still tethered there upon the ground. But you're not. That's the key. Your orientation is upward. And therefore, the, the sin baggage must be jettisoned. We've got to deal with it. Uh, we, we've got to recognize it for what it is. First see it and then grab a hold of it. And then work it up maybe the side of the, the gondola and strain and look to the Lord all the time, looking upward because that's the direction that we're headed. And then work it over and jettison it over the side of the balloon. And as we do that more and more, what are we doing? We're living for God. We're dealing with indwelling sin. It takes intentionality, I guess is what I'm pointing out. We must uh, be intentional. If you love God, if he is your master, then live in obedience to his will. Um, Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's the motivation there? It's the gospel. He loved me. He gave himself for me. I am dead now to that way of living and now I can live to God. So that's the first one, indwelling sin. Secondly, live to God when it comes to outward pressure to conform. Now, we just looked at the, the inward barrier to living to God. Uh, but we also have outward barriers. We're going to look at one of those uh, in this text now. And, and Peter's, Peter's answer here, I'll, I'll just, it's going to be the same. Don't continue in the old way. But live for the will of God. Now, again, in, in verse 3, you'll look back, getting in the right passage here. Verse 3, Peter says, For the time is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. You, you've spent enough time in the past doing what uh, unbelievers, what pagans do, you know, drinking parties, licentious living, sensuality. Uh, lawless idolatry, setting up other idols for yourselves. That's who you were, but that's no longer who you are. And I trust that there are many of us here. Uh, in fact, I've heard from many, so I know there are many of us here who could stand up here in front of the congregation and you could share that as your testimony. You could say, that's who I was. Uh, but now I've got a new desire in my heart. I've got a new master whom I am following uh, by God's grace, by his gospel. Um, there's, there, there is, and Peter's talking about, this is where you 
were. There's a darkness. There's a hiddenness there. But then, and this is part of that testimony, when Christ takes hold, he begins to affect a change in your life. And what happens then? Uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, you don't want that lifestyle anymore. You want to live to God, live in the new ways. Uh, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are able to have the mind of Christ by the Spirit, to think the thoughts of God. And so you begin to live in this way, to want the things of God. And that's the situation here. These are the people that Peter is writing to. But notice what happens in that scenario with the unbelievers or others in your life. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, uh, you're no longer living in this way. With respect to this, they, it's speaking, he's speaking about the unbelievers, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. Um, to malign means to tear down. Uh, they malign you. They, they gossip behind your back. Uh, they, they, they're not for you any longer. They're against you. Has anyone ever experienced that? You don't have to raise your hands. Uh, but think, have I experienced that? Now, this can be hard, especially when you struggle, which many of us do, with people-pleasing, with desiring to, to, to kind of the, the conflict that's there, to kind of push it down and to get along and, and to have others like us. Uh, it can be very hard. You, you may want to keep up those relationships. You might even want to give a little. You may want to, to join together with them for a, a time. Now, Peter doesn't mince any words here. If you look at verse 5, here's what he says. But they, he's speaking about the, those who are tearing you down, who, who were close to you perhaps, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's speaking about eternal judgment there. Um, this is serious. It's simple in a sense, but it is weighty. He's saying, do not conform. Do not join with them. Christ will be their judge. And of course, our hearts can be that they will hear the gospel, they will come to Christ. But but he is talking about eternal judgment. This is nothing to mess around with. And so what, what is Peter saying that we should actually do in these cases? We'll go back to verse 2. It's right there. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, no longer in these ways, no longer availing yourself to be drawn back into these ways, but now for the will of God but to continue in the way that your heart desires. You can think about, um, think about Paul, Romans chapter 7. Remember the passage where he, he says, I do not do what I desire to do, but I do the very thing that I do not want. He's speaking about the new master that's there. And, and, and I tend to, in cases like this, I, I tend to go back and to engage in those things that I really... That's not my new heart. That's not my new orientation. Uh, and so that's what he's calling for here. Uh, look to the will of God. Walk in those ways. Uh, don't allow them to 
pull you back, and he says it in a very distinct way as he speaks about eternal judgment. And so live to God when it comes to indwelling sin. Live to God when it comes to outward pressure to conform. And then finally, live to God because you are not under judgment. Now, he's just talked about judgment uh, there. Uh, He's pointed to the judgment that uh, unbelievers will face if they remain, if they don't turn to Christ. It is a reality. And he uses that now as an opportunity to encourage those who are in Christ. And he does this in verse 6. Now, verse 6 is a, a bit of a challenge to interpret, uh, kind of like the passage that we looked at last week, very similarly. In fact, many would point back to that one. Uh, uh, look with me at verse 6. Uh, he, remember, he's just talked about uh, judgment. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, you could interpret this, and some have, to say that, that he's talking about the gospel being preached uh, to those who are dead. And the way it would be taken is that uh, there is, for some subset of those who are dead, uh, the, the gospel can be preached to them and they can have a second chance, a second chance for salvation. The problem is it goes against the rest of Scripture, uh, directly against the, the, whole, the whole bent of, of Scripture. Uh, you know, we are given this life. Every person is given this life. Uh, and then comes judgment, it says. Uh, there, there is no more. Now, this can be attractive, this kind of thinking uh, or interpretation. Because you, when you think about family members, you, you think about those who you know that in their lives, as they lived their lives, they didn't show the fruit uh, that would lead one to believe that they had trusted in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and yet, you've got this uh, connection there. And so many would want to think that there, there is a, a place for a second chance. Uh, but again, we don't have that throughout Scripture, and uh, it does seem clear here that that's, that's not a right uh, interpretation. Think about the reason that there's so much urgency given, especially as you go through the gospel accounts, but, but others, uh, especially in the New Testament, urgency that we would see Christ for who he truly is and we would turn to him and trust in him. There, it, there's urgency because it is in this life. No one knows whether or not he or she has tomorrow. You don't know. And so now is the time to trust in Christ and follow Christ. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. Uh, in fact, that's what Peter is saying in the immediate context here. Uh, look again at verse 5. Uh, They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's talking about judgment there. And so we can't see that uh, in this way. So what is Peter referring to here? In fact, the real question is, who are the dead to whom Christ was preached? Now remember what he's doing in this passage. He's encouraging these believers. And one of the things that would have been troubling these believers, you can imagine, uh, they're, they're... uh, they're new in the faith. The church is young, 
And there are some among them, as they're suffering and living the Christian life, maybe even facing persecution, there are some among them, as believers, who die. And there's a sense, there's, there's a judgment in death itself. And so they would have had these questions. Uh, they died. Where's the hope in that? We're looking for Christ to return. Now, look back with me at verse 6. Now, having just spoken about the unbelievers, giving account for the way that they lived, uh, he says in verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Think, the gospel was preached to them. They are now dead. But this is why the gospel was preached to them. That although judged in the flesh, uh, there, there's a temporal judgment that, that they face. There's death. There's also the judgment of, of man uh, in the way that they were living. Though judged in the flesh, the way that people are in this world, that they might live in the spirit in the way that God does, that they might have spiritual life, ongoing life, eternal life. And it seems here at the end of, of at least these verses uh, that Peter, having just spoken about judgment that unbelievers face, we know the same is true for all people, that all are called to account for the way that they have lived. Some will have to to pay themselves, but others will depend upon the Lord Jesus and upon the work that he has done. And therefore, the gospel preached, they came to faith, and in coming to faith, therefore, in life and in death, they are able to live spiritually with the Lord their God. And so he's encouraging there, it's, these people, it seems, and us as well, live to God. Because as those who belong to Christ, you will not face judgment, but you will experience everlasting life. And so look to that, even as you struggle in the trenches, down in the foxhole, uh, and struggle internally. And struggle externally with those who malign you, those who stand against you. As you struggle, look to, look to that which you have. You will not face judgment. What did Paul say? Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They will continue to live, live spiritually and, and, and experience the benefits of living the Christian life in this life. Knowing the Lord walking with the Lord, being with a community of faith, uh, even as they struggle through those deep struggles which are there. Uh, and so look to the Lord, to the will of God, and live in accordance with His will day after day. That's what this is a call to. This is an encouragement for us to live as children of God. Let me say a word of prayer. Now, Father, we thank you for these, uh, these words this morning. Thank you for this, uh, this letter that Peter wrote to a, a people who were in distress. There are times, Lord, when we, um, if we're honest, we need to cry out to you and we need to say we're in distress. We have difficulty as we're trying to live this life to know that you provide for that. 
uh, to know that there is true freedom, that we've been set free from sin, to live to God, that we are able to know the Lord Jesus, to know true forgiveness of sin and life eternal. Uh, For all these things, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We pray that you'll continue that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.